I'd like to begin this morning thinking about God's word. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. He will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, astonishing things across the earth. He causes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, he burns the chariots with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray together. Father, we come together knowing many people walked into a room that was in the middle of a prayer meeting. And God, we pray even now with our brothers and sisters around the world. God, we pray for churches that have gathered in very difficult places. God, we pray for missionaries who continue to share the good news of Jesus even now at border crossings in the middle of impossibly hard to imagine circumstances. God, we pray for peace and justice and hope. God, we know in this situation, the world in which we live, so much sin and death and evil, and yet, God, there is incredible hope because of Jesus Christ. When everything around us seems to be in chaos, when it feels like our family might be falling apart or our life might be falling apart or the world is falling apart, behind the scenes we know what is true, that the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. And so, Father, we gather this morning in the name of Jesus, on the authority of your word, trusting, God, that you are good, that you are at work, that you are in control, and so, Father, this morning, teach us more of what that looks like. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever walked into a situation and asked yourself, who's in charge here? Uh, now, hopefully you don't think that when you go to church or come to church, but who's in charge here? Uh, some of you are waiting for the time that the Olympics adds a new sport called interrogating the manager at the store. Like, uh, many of you would have gold medals, uh, or you would at least medal worldwide in being able to get the manager at the store to pay attention. Like, you go into a situation, who's in charge here? Those of you who have attempted substitute teaching, you know there's no question like, who's in charge here? Does anybody, does anybody actually have control of this classroom? Uh, there were times right after I graduated college that Amanda and I did some substitute teaching, that is a terrifying situation to walk into because you're like, what kind of authority do I actually have in this classroom right now to, to control what's going on here? My office is right out, or the, the playground for our Compass preschool is right outside my office. And so I hear some really funny stories that, that go on at the, uh, at the playground and recess out there. 
And there's probably not many weeks that go by that I don't hear some little kid yell, you're not the boss of me, you can't tell me what to do. Like, who at the playground has not heard someone yell, like, who's the boss of me, who's in charge here? This morning, there are two questions we're gonna deal with from scripture. Who's in charge of the world, and who is in charge of my life? If you leave here and go home and someone asks you what was the sermon about, Hope you can say Jesus, that'll be a good place to get to, but there are two questions I want you to go home with today. Who is in charge of the world, and who is in charge of my life? And let's think about that second question just for a minute. If you were to imagine, uh, there's a blank, blank is in charge of my life. Who controls your calendar? Who controls your finances? Who controls your relationship? Who controls what you do with your body? Who controls how you live in the world? Who is in charge of our life? And and we have to change the grammar up there just a little bit, uh, but many of us, if we were really honest, we'd say, I wanna be in charge of my life. We live in a world where people wanna live out their own truth, and I'm in charge. I'll tell myself what to do. Nobody else is gonna tell me, determine for me, what I'm going to do. And, And if we're not careful, cravings and lusts and addictions and all kinds of things can come to dominate our life. I'm gonna be in charge of my life. I'm gonna determine what I do. There's another way you answer that question up there, which is, if I was to be honest with you, Owen, somebody else really controls my life. Uh, This is the feeling they can have when you're a kid. My parents control my life. They're in charge of my life. Or in certain situations, Your whole life is driven because of a need you have to please somebody else or because of some type of emotional control that someone has in your life, either good or bad. There's authorities in the world that seek to control our lives to a degree that probably goes beyond what should be appropriate. There's religious authority that tries to control people's lives. And when we think of the word authority, generally, we think of that in a negative sense. Like, I don't want somebody else to tell me what to do. I want to be able to live my own life. But true authority, divine authority in your life is not oppression, it is actually the pathway to true life. When we understand that God is in control, when we understand that he's in control of the world and he's in control of my life, then it changes the way I think about life. It changes the way I live in the world. And so as we go through these verses in Mark chapter one this morning, I want you to have in the back of your mind who's in charge of the world and who is in charge of my life. Who really has the authority? Mark chapter one, verse 21. Let's look at this together. Key word this morning is authority. Mark chapter one, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now, a reminder of the geography here, uh, if you were to fly into modern-day Israel, almost every flight is going to come into Tel Aviv. They're in the western part of the country, far eastern coast of, of the Mediterranean. Down at the bottom, bottom right, southern area there on the map on the screen, you have Jerusalem and Bethlehem and the Dead Sea. And then up in the top right, that northeast area where that red dot is up there, that's Capernaum up on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus spent a lot of his time, is up here around the Sea of Galilee area, and he goes into the synagogue, and it says he began to teach. What's going on there? Like, 
can somebody just show up to church and say, hey, pastor, move out of the way, I'm teaching today? Uh, no, no, you can't do that. If you wonder, it's not, it's not a rhetorical question. Uh, but at this time, as Jesus would come as a teacher into the synagogue, he's able to take up the scroll, read the scroll, and then teach the people. And as he teaches them here, we find out in other gospels that he is showing that he is the fulfillment of all that scripture has been pointing toward. And you look at verse 22 and you get an idea about his teaching. Verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The religious teachers of the time, the way they taught is they were passing down tradition generation after generation, and a lot of times they would riff off that tradition, but all of their teaching went back to this tradition of man, this tradition of teaching that stretched back for generations. The way that we can think about this in our world today, students, if you write a research paper, what do you have to have for the research paper? You have to have sources, and you have to have footnotes, because you have to be able to show, this is not my information. I didn't come up with this on my, my own. I'm gathering this information and trying to do something with If you don't do that, it's plagiarism, and it's a bad thing. Don't do that. And so when we think about teaching, and we think about being able to do this work, it's, it's derived authority. It's something that's been passed down. When Jesus teaches, though, he doesn't need footnotes because he's God with us. He gets a pass in class. He doesn't have to have show his work. He doesn't have to show his sources because he is the source. When you see this teaching here, it's a sign here that he teaches with authority because he is teaching as God with us. And when we receive his word, we find out that Jesus' authority, one of the ways he reveals that to the world is through this divine teaching that he brings. And so when you're thinking about who's in charge of the world, who's in charge of my life, the first thing we want to tell you is to look back to the word of God. If we're going to think about authority, and we're going to think about who's in charge of the world and who's in charge of my life, we're going to begin with the word of God. That when Jesus reveals his authority, he does it through divine teaching. Verse 23. Verse 23, it says, immediately, Mark's favorite word, you're going to see that. If you start circling the word immediately in the Gospel of Mark, you're going to run out of ink. It's just all over the place. But, and immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Now, it'd be easy to miss this, but one of the things that Mark is doing by putting these two stories next to one another is he's providing a direct contrast to the story that just came before. Before, Jesus is revealing his authority to the religious teachers, human beings, but those who saw themselves as perfectly clean and righteous. Then he turns right around in the next story, and he's going to reveal himself to spiritual beings who are described as unclean. So what you're getting, if you think about this in your mind, you're getting two complete ends of the spectrum. Religious teachers who see themselves as perfectly clean, and spiritual beings who are completely unclean, and Jesus' authority is over both. It doesn't matter how great a person thinks they are or how bad a demon might be, Jesus' authority stands over all things in creation. And so Mark is presenting this. Jesus shows his authority by how he teaches as God with us, but he also shows us his authority because he's showing his authority through demonic exorcisms, through this idea of, of power and authority over demons. Now, we don't have a lot of time this morning to talk about this. We're going to spread this out week after week after week as we go through Mark. But just to state what we need to state up front here, 
there is a spiritual realm to the world. And there is an evil, demonic, spiritual realm to the world. And I know that feels so strange in 2022. How do we make sense of that? But if we don't acknowledge that up front, we miss a lot about Jesus' power and authority. What it means for him to be in charge of the world and not the evil, demonic forces of the world. So you have a thousand and one questions, and so do I, uh, about what that looks like and how that's lived out. But I just want you to hear from the beginning. If we look away from or dismiss the reality of a spiritual realm, including an evil demonic spiritual realm, we miss the fullness of Jesus' authority and power in the world. Because you see that in the, in the second half of verse 23. The second half of verse 23 says, this demon, this unclean spirit, cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. From the very beginning here, you can see that this unclean spirit understands more than almost anybody Jesus interacts with in the gospel. He understands who Jesus is. Jesus of Nazareth, fully human. Holy one of God, fully divine. The demon knows who he is dealing with here, and he says specifically, have you come to destroy us? It's like this evil spirit is speaking for the entire demonic realm saying, have you come to destroy us? And the answer is obviously yes, but not in the way the demon imagines. Because Jesus hasn't come just to deal with this symptom of unclean spirits. He's come to deal with the entire reality of evil and sin in the world. And so this question, have you come to destroy us, it has to do with who's in charge of the world, and it's going to be answered, friends, on the cross and through the resurrection. The way that Jesus is casting out unclean spirits, it's a preview of the cross. Everything you see in the Gospel of Mark, the teaching, the exorcisms, the healings, all of them point right to the cross because that is where Jesus will destroy sin and evil. That is where we find out who's truly in charge of the world. And this demon here recognizes who Jesus is, what he's come to do, even if the other people around can't recognize it at the time. Next verse, 25. What does Jesus do? Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. Now, if you've seen certain movies <laughs> that involve exorcism, it's hard not to think of that idea in, in this instance. But I would point you away from those movies or, or those ideas, and let's focus on one thing in this couple of verses. When we think of exorcisms in our day or dealing with unclean spirits, for one, it's just hard to wrap our mind around, but when we think about those things, too often there's magic spells and incantations and crazy things going on around it. How does Jesus deal with this unclean spirit? He just speaks simply speaks and says, be silent. When you think about the reality of evil in the world, when you think about the reality of unclean spirits and, and this evil spiritual realm, there is one thing that you need to be aware of, and it is the power of the word of God. There's no magic spell. There's no incantation. There's no elaborate scheme. There is the word of God that triumphs over evil, that in this moment, what is most needed is just for Jesus to speak. This should feel anticlimactic. This does not make for a good movie. 
It doesn't make for an exciting process, but it does show you something about who's in charge of the world. It does show you the power of the word of God in this situation as he just speaks and this unclean spirit is moved to the side. Next verse, verse 27. They were all amazed. No kidding. <laughs> like They were all amazed. They were astonished at what happened. They were amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching, there's our key word, with authority. Circle the word authority, that's our word for this morning. What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. They see his spirit, or they see his authority over the spirits. Verse 28, at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. We, in our world, it's almost impossible to read verse 28 and not think to ourselves, oh cool, that's a really good thing. Jesus is famous, all these reports about him is spreading. In this instance, though, it's actually not a good thing because you're gonna find in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus doesn't want his fame to spread in these ways because it's gonna require all kinds of confusion about who he is and, and what he's come to do. And what you find here is the idea that the people are amazed by Jesus but they've not yet given their allegiance to him. And so let me say something about God's work in your life this morning. It's possible to be amazed by Jesus, but not to have given your allegiance to him. And those are two radically different things. There are a lot of people in the world, and maybe even in this room, who you wouldn't be disrespectful toward Jesus or religion. You're amazed by his teaching and his impact in the world. But friends, that is not the same as giving your allegiance to him, giving your life to him, being a follower of him. In this instant, and as you go through Mark, you're gonna find a lot of people who are amazed by Jesus, but very few who give their lives to him. And that's a distinction that matters in who's in charge of our lives. What is my life all about? Verse 29, here we go again, the word immediately, circle it again. And immediately, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew, with James and John. Now, it's, I know it's a little bit hard to see, but this is a picture of Simon Peter's house. Not the image on top, like not the, not the structure on top, okay? So the structure on top is when you let someone build a visitor center on top of a famous archeological dig, okay? That's what went wrong. Like the guy on top wishes he would have been hired for the Star Wars movie. He just got hired to build the visitor center at Peter's house uh, in Capernaum, and that's what you end up with. If ever there were two things that did not go together quite like that, it would be those two things up there on the screen. So underneath is a famous archeological dig that very likely is exactly the place that we're reading about here in scripture. Like, there's some good reasons to think that's it. And on top of it is the visitor center that you go into, and there's actually a glass floor that you can look down and see some of the work that, that's going on there. So this is the idea that going into Peter's house, what's he gonna do there? Well, look in verse 29. Actually, we're in verse 30 now. Verse 30. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. I'd just like to say up front, I'm not gonna draw any conclusions from the fact that the mother-in-law healing follows the demon exorcism. No connections. Like, you wanna draw that connection? That's on you, all right? You did not hear from that from me. We go from demon exorcism 
to Peter's mother-in-law here is lying ill with a fever, and he says, Jesus, you need to come and do something uh, about this. Now, remember, Mark, as he writes the gospel, Mark receives most of his information for the gospel from whom? Peter. And you can imagine Peter saying to Mark, hey, Mark, I know it's not the most dramatic story ever, but man, you could really win me some points with my wife and mother-in-law if you could slip this story into your gospel. Like, just talk about what Jesus did for my mother-in-law, and this is really gonna go a long way for me. And so Mark's like, sure, Peter, I'll throw this story in here. What do you find here in this story? You find a healing that's happening in the household. Verse 31, Jesus came, and this time, he doesn't even speak. It's just his compassion and love and, and, and his touch. He came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Now you see a very small distinction here, where before the people were amazed by Jesus but didn't give their allegiance to him. What happens with Peter's mother-in-law? She's healed and she begins to serve. She begins to live out the Christian life here among, among the people that are there. Verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered at the door. Now there's so many things in the book of Mark and the whole scriptures that are just incredible. This is one of those that I wanna point out to you and we're gonna come back to it a couple of times going through Mark. When you look at the Gospel of Mark, the term for evening shows up six different times. So you start to count up and there are six different days, days, if you use six uses of the word evening, and then Jesus' resurrection happens, and you never find evening mentioned again at the end of the gospel. It looks like, and we can't know this 100%, but I'm 99.9% that this is the case. Mark has written his gospel in such a way that there is a whole week of Jesus' whole week of Jesus' life portrayed throughout the book. Six times it says evening, then the resurrection that ushers in the rest that comes from God. The new creation is coming. And so what Mark is doing here, he's triggering for us, here's a day in Jesus' life, and I'm gonna show you five more of these days, and then we're gonna get to the resurrection, and there's no more evening because the new creation has come. God's victory has broken into the world. You're gonna be able to see God's kingdom on display. Verse 34, what does that look like? It, it shows up in the way Jesus cares for the crowds, his authority over the crowds. He healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. If the demons start to do the evangelizing, there's gonna be incredible confusion about what it is. It's not just amazement about Jesus, it's giving allegiance to him. All right, let's back up for just a second, slow down, begin to kind of, how do we bring this together? Couple of summary points about what you saw in scripture this morning. The authority of Jesus reveals his identity for us. Who is Jesus? That he is the holy son of God. That he comes and speaks with the divine authority. He comes and acts with the divine authority. He is God with it. That is his identity. My hope is that you would know him in that way. And Jesus' authority reveals what his kingdom is going to be all about, this new creation that's breaking in when one day evil and sin and death and sickness and war will be no more, that this creation is coming, it's coming because of who Jesus is and his authority over the world. And so as we think about how do I respond to that, that we would know who he is, 
that we would worship him, that we would follow him, and that this morning the thing that might stick with you is not just that you respect Jesus or you're amazed by him, but that you give your allegiance to him, that you follow him, that he is everything to you, that this is not just another good teaching, it's not just another historical figure, this is God with us, the one who came to take on our sin, to destroy death, and to make possible full and eternal life. So let me ask the question one more time here at the end. Who is in charge of the world and who is in charge of your life? We look around at our world and that's a tough question to answer sometimes. It looks like and feels like everything can be out of control and yet the word of God tells us even if you can't see it, even if you don't feel it, even if it doesn't seem like it right now, the God of the universe is perfectly in control. He is good, he is loving, he is wise, and he is with us. And with Jesus' teaching and actions in the world, we come to believe, I believe that's true. Then the more difficult question, if that's true that he's in charge of the world, do I really believe he's in charge of my life? What I do with my money, what I do with my body, what I do with my time, what I do with my life, it sits under the authority of Jesus. So if anybody asks you, who's in charge of the church? It's not me, it's not Jim, it's Jesus. Who's in charge of the world? It's Jesus. Who's in charge of your life? I pray that it's Jesus. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you're here this morning, you think about, how do I make Jesus in charge of my life? How do I give my life to him? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, he's in charge, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he is the one who came to defeat sin and death and evil, you will be saved. And if you're here this morning, and that's exactly what you need to do, that this would be the morning that you give your allegiance to Jesus, that you trust in him for salvation. For those of you here this morning who have already done that, we're gonna show our allegiance to Jesus by taking the Lord's Supper together, remembering that he gave his body and blood for us. That as we gather and take the Lord's Supper together, we remember we do this in fellowship and connection with believers around the world. That this is not something we just made up to do this morning. This is something we do recognizing all believers around the world. And I don't know if it's on purpose because I haven't talked to the ladies who set up the tables, um, but they're very prayerful about this and intentional about this. You notice these blue table coverings. It's not hard to jump from that blue table covering to the reality of war in the world and the colors of the Ukrainian flag and the things that are happening around the world. And so as we think about gathering gathering to take the Lord's Supper, something that believers do around the world, we remember, who's in charge of the world? Jesus is. Who's in charge of my life? Jesus is. Let me pray for us, and we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together. Father, thank you for your word. The power of your word that overcomes any religious teaching in the world, the power of your word that overcomes any evil spiritual powers, the power of your word that brings healing to our homes and our families and our relationships, the power of your word that reminds us that you are in control, that we can be still this morning 
for just a moment and know that you are God. You will be exalted among the nations, every nation on earth. You will be exalted in the earth. And so God, as we've gathered here, there may be people who have come who they feel a lot of respect toward religion or they're amazed by Jesus but they've never given their allegiance to him. God, I pray that that would happen today. God, I pray if there are people here who know that they're followers of Jesus, but if they were honest, Jesus has not been in charge of their relationships or their schedule or their body or their money or any other part of life, God, that we would be reminded today that Jesus has all authority and that's a good thing, that his authority leads to true life, eternal life. God, remind us of that as we take the Lord's Supper together right now. Remind us of that as we sing a final song and then leave. Father, we trust you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 